All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. So last year, musician Alex Kappelman was pumped. He was at the South by Southwest Music Festival. He was about to hear one of his favorite bands, Vampire Weekend. And then... I'm standing there listening. I'm looking at the four of them up there on stage. And I swear that all of a sudden I hear this fifth part. And I'm thinking, where is this extra musician? And then all of a sudden I feel this horrible sinking feeling inside of me because I realize that they're probably playing to a backing track. A backing track. A backing track. Uh-oh. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This is New Tech City, the show about how technology is changing our lives. And in this case, our favorite bands and how it's annoying purists who think there should still be standards. Purists like Alex Kappelman. Hey, Manoush. Hi, Alex. Alex, you're in a band that plays gigs around the city here in New York, and you have your own show about music called Pitch, right? Yeah. Okay, so you go to see a lot of live music. Yeah, I see a ton of live music, mostly in small clubs, a lot of indie bands. And over the past few years, I've been noticing a trend start to develop. One that I gotta say I wasn't really too happy about. It's something kind of deceptive. Live shows are relying more and more on what are called backing tracks. Okay, so explain that to us musical civilians. Backing tracks are pre-recorded music played underneath live instrumentation. This has huge implications for the future of live music. The very next show that you go to, the band might be using backing tracks. So let's say that you and I wanted to start a band. Oh, yes, let's say. All right, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> do you have any instruments? Do you, do you play any instruments? Um, well, when I was a kid, I took piano and clarinet. But these days, it's more like those egg shakers in a kitty music class with my four-year-old. Oh, so cute. Yeah. So what about you? I play guitar. Okay. Um, so that's two instruments right there. <laughs> egg shakers and a guitar. Yeah, the foundation of any good band. Awesome. But since it's only two instruments, we might want to fill the sound out a little bit. The beauty of using backing tracks is that you and I can start a band by ourselves. No arguing with collaborators, no having to pay people to be in the band. We can have a full sound, just you and me. This sounds great. I don't see what the problem is here. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Before the show, we'll lay down a few extra parts, say a keyboard melody, uh, maybe a little bit of bass, you know, whatever you want. And we can record the tracks on our computer. When it comes time to perform, we plug in the MacBook, press spacebar, the track starts, and we play along. Easy peasy. Okay. This could be super exciting. I have to say that I've always wanted to start a band. And 
I mean, these days, I guess it really is that easy to start a band, like suspiciously easy. It's kind of reminding me of Millie Vanilli. Please tell me that you do know who Millie Vanilli is, though. Of course I know who ooh, Millie Vanilli are. Ooh, ooh, I love you. Are we going to be just go- something like that? I mean, they, they were shamed, those two dudes, with their beautiful hair. <laughs> They did have beautiful hair, and that probably protected them from a little bit of that shame. But this isn't quite Millie Vanilli. What Millie Vanilli did was they got different people with better voices but probably less glorious hair <laughs> to record their parts. And then they lip-synced live. With backing tracks, we play our own instruments. You play the shaker, I play my guitar, and we sing live over the backing tracks. It's not replacing the instrumentation. It's supplementing it. Okay, so it's like the musical equivalent of a push-up bra, basically. (laughs) Like, they're real, but they just may not be quite so out there. Yeah, that's another topic that I can't quite speak to, but I'll I'll trust Trust you on that one. one, All right, so let me play you an example of what this sounds like in practice. Okay. This is a track called Take This City. It's by Avon Lava. They're an electropop band uh, that plays a lot of live shows, and... There's only five people on stage. There's a drummer, there's a keyboardist, and there are three singers who don't play any instruments. So that should sound pretty thin. But when you add a track, it actually becomes really layered and thick. So here's what they sound like with just the five members of Avon Lava playing. No track. Little bit crazy. And here's the backing track that they play underneath that. So when you're in the audience, here's what you're actually going to hear. Right, so that's both of them together, and that's definitely a lot, like you said, fatter. It sounds a lot better than just the purely live track. It's like richer, the old Phil Spector wall of sound thing. (laughs) Right. There's a lot of big fatness to it. And I think that Avon Lava sounds better playing to that track. But the fact that bands used a track to sound better than their actual live playing, it just seemed wrong to me. Uh, it felt like I was getting cheated out of a true live show. So I decided to put on my music journalist hat, and Manoush, I had no friggin' idea how many bands were doing this. I was mortified. Like, everyone is doing this. Well, Kanye, Jay-Z, yeah, Justin Timberlake, uh, Madonna. That's Ian Pei. Ian plays drums in Avon Lava, that first band that we played. And he also creates the band's live backing tracks. He's been making backing tracks for years now for acts like Blue Man Group, Fisher Spooner, and Cat Power. I mean, I think it's it's totally an industry standard at this point. I mean, it's totally accepted, um, now, especially now that it's made it in – it's really made its way in, in the indie world. It's on every rung of the ladder, from stadium shows all the way down. I mean, you go to a smaller town or city, and if there's a guy in a bar playing with a guitar – a lot of times they have backing tracks. I mean, maybe it's not in the form of a, a computer. Maybe it's a, a sequencer. But it's the same thing. Bands have been able to do this for a while now, but it was kind of expensive. And it wasn't until recently that this stuff became widely available. Bands had to learn on the fly. I and pay again. I think that maybe seven, eight years ago, 
I first started seeing it show up in indie bands on tour and in festivals. And it was kind of a nightmare because the technology wasn't quite there. People didn't know how to put it together. Like, you know, we learned by screwing up a lot. Like I had screensavers and, and like, you know, my computer would go to sleep after a certain amount of time. And I for- forget about this stuff in the beginning. And so we're playing in front of 50,000 people. My computer's plugged in not only to the sound system, but also to the video screen. And just like this giant beep goes off. And then my photo library is playing on a video screen in front of 50,000 people. And then you hear the audience kind of react to it. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then I look back and there's like pictures of the band like on the beach in Ibiza. I would have flipped out if I were at that show. A human being would never stop playing in the middle of a set to show the crowd a photo album of a beach vacation or something. But as I realized from speaking with Ian, humans definitely have disadvantages too. They need to eat. They need to pay their bills. And that all costs money, which a lot of bands just can't afford. So when backing trucks became more available they started to replace humans as a cheaper solution. Well, I think a lot of it's economics and practicality. I think that the way people are recording music now is much more complex. They're layering a lot of different sounds, and without those sounds, the song changes. And sometimes the songs are dependent on these all these layers. Okay, Alex. There are essentially two changes that we're talking about here, right? There's backing tracks on stage, but then there's this whole newish kind of aesthetic that he's talking about. It's almost like back in the day, there was this brighter line between electronic music, Kraftwerk, and I don't know, regular music like Bruce Springsteen. Right, yeah. The thing is, the tech is cheaper and more accessible now. So it's not just bands like Kraftwerk or Daft Punk or cocked whatever you no i just said it the proper german way that's all oh right. i thought that was another band <laughs> <laughs> but i see the problem here if that is their sound then what are they supposed to do when it comes time to put on a show when they get on stage are they not supposed to play their songs with layers are they supposed to do like i don't know the the thin version on stage the unplugged version it, exactly so this is how a lot of people feel My friend Brittany Campbell is actually one of those musicians who would need, like, I don't know, 20 extra hired guns to play live. She piles on vocals and synths and guitars on the record to get this high-energy, dancey sound that she's going for. So I dropped by Brittany's apartment, and I spoke with her and Joe Etson. He's her guitarist, and he's also a friend of mine. They're both super talented musicians who come from jazz and performance backgrounds, and they really like playing with real humans. But Britney has this really big sound, and to get that sound live, they feel like they need to use a track. Until, you know, it can be afforded to have like 20 musicians up there. You know what I'm saying? Until it can be replaced, until all those sounds can be replaced, then yes, I do feel it necessary. I think I think in the case of this band, it's essential to recreate the sonic palette that Britney is really trying to uh, achieve. And if we had the personnel and the funds to take care of that, then I think that we would be doing that without a question. Because when it comes down to it, playing to a track can actually suck, like, a lot. So uh, would it be fair to say that you're settling for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be fair to say that we're settling for it. That's absolutely what's happening. 
Coming up on New Tech City, our musical friend Alex Kappelman gets schooled by a sociologist. Music snobs, you're going to want to take notes. I think every time we blame individual performers for acting rational within the system that we have, we're kind of missing the structural point. And you'll hear our very own New Tech City backing tracks experiment. I'm in. Let's do it. I mean, you already have your Meraki here, so. Yeah, so, like, let's just go. We're back. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and this is New Tech City, and we're on a journey with Alex Kappelman. He's a journalist, he's a podcaster, he's a musician, and he gets pretty upset when bands use backing tracks when they perform live, specifically when they don't let the audience in on the fact that technology is helping them sound fuller or thicker than they would if they just got up on stage and played on their own, unplugged. At this point, Alex wanted to test out his own thoughts beyond mere musicians, so he headed for the ivory tower. We have this idea of the way that things should be, and then there's, we know the way that things are. Columbia University professor Jennifer Lena studies the sociology of music. I think every time we blame individual performers for acting rational within the system that we have, we're kind of missing the structural point. But that's, you, you could argue that, like, if you play live and you play with a backing track, People are going to see you live and they expect that you're a good live band. Like, the majority of people will go to a show and they'll have no idea that their backing track's there. Um, Do you think it's important that bands display the computer on the line, like guitar, singer, computer? (laughs) Or, you know, like, what happens if it's less? Like, how important is, you know, you you know what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, I do. Uh, um, so I think there's a danger in the way that you frame the question of me agreeing with you that the way that you see the world is the way that everybody sees the world. That was actually sort of your premise of your question. And I didn't want to interrupt you to object. Not everybody expects the same things when they go to a live show. And, um, that's actually exactly the character of music communities is because everybody has a slightly different access point, meaning some people have liked the music for a while, others less so. Some heard it first in Detroit, others didn't. You know, because everybody has generated their own expectations of the style, not everybody at the same show has the same set of expectations of what counts as authentic on the stage. And, and you're right. Like, I guess I am kind of a music snob. In, in, like, I try not to be. Um, well, you shake your head. Well, I think that's really pejorative. And I would never, I don't feel that way. I don't think you should feel that way about yourself. I think that music snob implies that you have mistaken ideas about what you should care about, and I don't hold that position. Um, You should care about what you care about. I think the issue is when we project those expectations on others and aren't aware that we're doing that. It's not that I would judge that either. I think that's a pretty human response. You know, I don't want us to have an artistic culture where the majority of the conversations we have about the stuff that's really at stake for us is judging whether we're right or somebody else is right. I would much rather have a kind of arts ecology where we find all kinds of eccentricity, we find all kinds of differences, and we kind of rejoice in the fact that we live in a culture that can produce that much eccentricity and difference. Woo-wee. She <laughs> told you. Arts ecology. Don't yeah. you see now? Yeah, she schooled me, uh, but she kind of recruited me to her side. I kind of love that term, arts ecology. <laughs> She's saying that we don't need to have to be so judgmental all the time with music or the tech that we use in live shows. Um, 
And the SmackDown totally threw me, I gotta say. <laughs> I mean, I've had like heated, yelling arguments with friends about how I don't think music can be objectively good or objectively bad. And speaking with her made me realize that backing tracks are the same thing. Maybe I shouldn't have such a harsh view. They're there for a reason, and they can definitely help live shows for certain musicians. Okay, so that's it? Like, where did that inner sort of purist go? You're you're cool now with backing tracks? It's all good? (laughs) Well, not entirely. Okay. So I still get excited by bands that don't use backing tracks. A band that isn't completely a slave to a computer can feed off the crowd and rise to new musical heights. And being part of that experience feels amazing. I felt this excitement when I watched the band Hyam play live. They're one of my favorite bands right now, and they're getting really, really big. If you're a teenage girl, they're on your iPod or whatever, like, Snapchat audio thing tweens are using. Okay, explains why I don't know who they are. Go on. (laughs) Their live show sounds big, and they don't use a backing track. Hmm. Or at least I was 99% sure that they didn't. I mean, I have a pretty good ear, but I needed to get the answer from a true pro. So... Here's Ian Pei again. He's the guy who made backing tracks for Avon Lava. I asked him to listen to Hyam's live stuff for me to see if they're using a track. I mean, it would be interesting. Like we could, you know, we could check on on YouTube and see some of their live live shows, and we could figure out whether they're actually playing everything or not. Can we do that right now? Yeah, let's do it. You know, you want to do it? Let's do it. Okay. Hyam is four people: guitar, bass, keys, and drums. And three of them also sing. So Ian listened for any additional instruments, or if there were three guitar parts instead of one, or if the tempo stayed just a bit too perfect, like it was programmed into a computer or something. So, did Ian play totally live? To his ear? Yeah, they do. Oh yeah, I think they're I think they're actually really playing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't detect it. I mean, I only listened to, like, you know, 30 seconds of the song, but, yeah, it feels live. He sounds surprised. I mean, the guy who makes backing tracks can't believe that there is actually a band that doesn't use them. <laughs> it's kind of sad. And uh, how, do you, how does that make you feel? I mean, you know, I, I still love hearing a live band. I think it's awesome, you know. Um, I, I do enjoy it a little more. Just a little more when a band's playing the whole thing and they're really doing it. So even the backtracker, Ion, likes his music. He likes it clean. He likes it free of backing tracks. It's nice. He appreciates it. I'm with him. Okay, so when I heard that you were doing this show with us, Alex, mm-hmm. I got really excited because I did have this secret fantasy about being in a band. And today, you're going to make my fantasies come true, Alex. Oh, boy. I took the liberty of writing some lyrics, and there was a reason why we asked you to come into the studio and to bring your guitar. We are going to make a song, just the two of us. Wait. Oh, my God. <laughs> And then our fabulous sound engineer, Andrew Dunn, will fill it out and make it thick with a backing track. And we're going to see what the audience thinks, whether they prefer us unplugged here in the studio or with a wall of sound. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do it. It starts with no backing tracks, and I really am playing the egg shaker. Convincing someone to follow you. Do you just say what you think they want to hear? On 
iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeart, too. And yet the sign-up just never seems to be clear. Audio escape with a single click. Why does the ranking system make no sense? Sometimes they sample, but it doesn't stick. Subscriptions or downloads, we're on the Download or at least the top five. Enough of the chit chat, tell me a story. How do you reach podcasting glory? Like on the tagline, it counts too. These all are questions I have for you. Enough of the chit chat, tell me a story. How do you reach podcasting Those riffs you heard at the end really were Alex Kappelman. And that really was me with just a little bit of auto-tuning. Just a little bit. Alex Kappelman is co-host of the documentary music podcast Pitch, where a version of this story first appeared. Check it out. Their second season just launched. You can go find it at hearpitch.org. An extra big thank you to the mixmaster Andrew Dunn, who makes us sound good every week, but this week knocked it out of the park. Also, Das Elkin for backing me up and making my fantasies come true. If you made it all the way to the end of this podcast and that song, well, God bless you. And next week, something completely different. We hear from the people building the robots that will be fighting our wars for us in the not-so-far-off future. Frankly, it's kind of terrifying, and we should all be way more aware of it. We have all these incredible devices that no one could have conceived uh, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Maybe we can do a similar thing in this particular case and make war, as horrible as it sounds, less devastating to the non-combatants than it currently is. Killer robots and what they're thinking and feeling That's next week on New Tech City, where digital gets personal. Subscribe so it shows up on your phone. Just go to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to audio. Thanks so much for listening this time. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Solo? That's ridiculous, but yes, please.